You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 16 of the Girls on the Grid podcast. I'm here with Tanea. Hello. And I'm here with Bailey Medill. Oh hi, well I'm on the pod now. <laughs> Who literally just sat down next to us at lunch. So we are, just for context, setting the scene if you will, we are sitting on a silver bench at Winton Motor Raceway out the front of the kiosk eating a hot dog and some hot chippies um, just podding because that's what you do right you just pod that's it you just podcast and here also staring directly at a girls on the grid sticker which is stuck on the ladies toilet sign so but that wasn't us no 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 no, it wasn't us no. have we f- seen any stickers in the bin in the bin yet no, and we gave them to lots of drivers yeah. who had no idea about our no. podcast, so no. we just kind of assumed that they would be in the bin. But you know what the drivers did? They just handed them straight to the PR chicks, and they just <laughs> held them, so I don't know what's happened. So now heaps of PR chicks are out the lane, just have these stickers I wonder, sweat. although we know, we know what one driver did, Thomas Randall put it in his car, which yes. is a bit special, but other than that, I don't think any of them. Didn't Mark Winterbottom put it on his child, or was that you guys? Oh, who did that put was it on his child. child? Yeah, that was his, his child. child. Put it on his on himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, so here Wait, it was is. It Elliot. Little yeah, Elliot, Elliot oh, took cute. it off Renee cute. and put it on himself. We should just go stick out stickers on more children. I reckon. We just go walk around and do we it. We should not do that. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't need no like harassment. I don't need no harassment claims or anything. We'll get in so much. Trouble. If we're quick, they won't know it's us. If I was a mum, it's not like our faces are on the stickers. Yeah, but you know, if I was a mum and I saw you come up to my child with <laughs> stick, this giant sticker of two girls' faces on it, I would just be like, "What the heck are you doing?" Who the, who the heck is Bailey? What is she doing here? Yeah, what are you doing here, Bailey? What am I doing here? Introduce her. Bailey, tell us what you do. Uh, I work for Airtime with Priya. With me. This weekend we're currently doing our Porsche Carrera Cup and a little bit of supercars work, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Enjoying it. Loving life. What do you do at Airtime? Um, I'm a junior presenter at Airtime and also a production assistant slash a whole bunch Next, of other things. Jess Yates. Watch oh, out. I hope so. <laughs> That's, That's the goal. It's the goal. It's the main goal. She is goals. Like, can't top that. And if you keep being nice to me, you might get your own episode, so... Oh, thank you. Only if you keep it up. Though, I d- I, how are you nice to you? I'm always <laughs> me. We always insult each other at work. And we're like, actually... We, yeah, I? we're really mean to each other, so we'll see. That could make a good pot, actually. Priya and I used to have this relationship that Priya and Bailey have, and then she left me. Yeah, Bailey's the replacement. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, Tanea. I still love you. <laughs> the problem is now is that we look alike too when we wear the same outfit. We're That's true. Yeah. wearing the same we clothes. I mean, we same sleeves, black shoes, sleeves. Same haircut. Mm-hmm. You copied me. It's fine. So She fine. says I copied her, but she definitely copied me. I had it first. Because we both had blonde hair. And so we already looked the same. And then I booked to get my hair done, brunette. And then she posts on Instagram that she got her hair brunette. So I messaged her and I said, hey, look. I didn't message you. I think I brought it up with you when I saw you next. And I said, hey, look, I'm not actually copying you, but I, I actually am getting my head on the same. Yeah, just just establishing so we don't have beef at work. You're just trying to be me. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I'll admit and it. you're just trying to be Jess Yates. It's fine. Oh, of course. But like the brunette version. <laughs> Do you ever walk past Jess Yates and just can't Holy help shit. but stare at her? You oh have a god. massive ant on you. Oh, my God. That's I, definitely That's live action. That was huge. Right okay, back to Jess Yates. Okay. The important topic. Do you ever Wait. just walk past her and just stare at her? Um, yeah, I do actually. But the thing is, I've met her a bunch of times, so she's really nice. So sometimes during the race, like, I'll go in 
and I feel like I'm annoying her, but she's always super lovely about it. And I'll just ask her a bunch of questions, like what she's doing to prepare during the race, like how she does what she does, because she's so amazing at it, and she's the best. She's so helpful. She is the best, and we want to get her on the pod. So let's make that game plan. And Priya's just Snapchatting us mid-podcast. So, sweet. So here at Winton this weekend, I found Katie, who I actually met at Winton earlier this year. Different Winton trip. And she currently goes to Wodonga TAFE and she's studying motorsport mechanicness, whatever the actual proper course is. Mechanicness. Mechanicness. I like and I just went and had a quick chat to her about what she's doing this weekend with Gulf Horton Racing in the Porsche Carrera Cup Championship. Right, so we're here in Winton and I have just stumbled across Katie and she is a mechanic. Mechanic in training. Are you a, yeah, I don't know, you're a mechanic yet. But actually I first met Katie at the Winton Test Day earlier this year. She came up and introduced herself to me, said she loved the podcast and I found her here in Winton again. But this time she's working on a Porsche. Last time you were working with BJR. So what's your weekend been like here working for Garth Walden Racing at the Winton Supercars? It's been completely different, obviously, with having the difference between sessions with Porsche and with supercars. Obviously, supercars, you come to a track and you have so many things you can change, whereas with a Porsche, you've got wheel alignment and small, tiny things, and all we really had to do to set up was change our exhaust because we had that change, we had to put a muffler on. So with that, it's a bit of more of a relax, but when you've got back-to-back races like today, we had a 25-lap race, and then we've got a small period of time where we've had multiple things we've had to change we've had to come straight off the track and go straight back into the garage and just quickly do it turn around to be able to get to do the next race so yeah it's been it's been pretty quiet and now it's been pretty hectic but it's been really good yeah definitely so tell us a little bit about how you got into doing what you're doing now you can actually hear the supercars on track so did you grow up as a supercars fan yeah, I've always grown up as a supercars fan. Um, Dad's always had something to do with cars and Dad's been an interstate truck driver my entire life. So I've had a massive interest in it. And then back in 2017, saw a friend post about being an official. I was like, how the heck do I get on that? And yeah, so I had a look at it in the middle of a class. I was like, all right. And my first ever officiating event was Gold Coast 2017. Craziest year. And what made the weekend was the Sunday when Scott McLaughlin ran out of fuel on that first that end of the race. I was one of the first people out to the car, got to push it back, and it was just insane. Got me like got it flowing, and yeah. Since then, uh, twenty eighteen, I did five events, and then as we go through, I just kept doing more and more events. Twenty twenty, obviously, stuffed me over a bit with COVID. We don't talk about that. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so I was meant to start a Cert three in motorsport technology twenty twenty, but due to obviously the circumstances that year we didn't um, and then Bathurst last year was my only officiating event I met a couple of boys working with BRT and they're both like try Wodonga TAFE and Wodonga TAFE oh my god great track great workshop everything and I've had so many we've had so many chances we've had chances with super utes with Bathurst 12 hour with Garth with BJR um, we have a few people with Erebus and everything so it's been a really big thing and yeah that's how I ended up here today like being able to do that course and everything so we're about half almost halfway through and still got so much more to come. So you're halfway through and you're already doing what you want to do when you finish your degree yeah? Yeah definitely it's insane being able to get my hands on and everything and because of 
the bit of experience I have and obviously having a truck licence, being able to head out next weekend going to Sydney with Garth Walden again for the, the sprint and then also radicals, it's insane just having those quick accessibilities to those placements and even with such great teams. What I find in this sport is when they find good talent or people that are good at what they do, or people that are good at what they do within the sport, teams tend to sort of grab on real tight and, and don't let you go. So I think you might be in for a couple more race weekends. Uh, be prepared for the drastic change in schedule of your life because weekends aren't weekends. Your weekends are Monday, Tuesdays. But like, is this what you want to do? Obviously, volunteered. You're a big fan of the sport, and volunteering's not easy. But I find that lots of people we talk to here on the podcast volunteer and it seems to be a little bit of a secret to success if you want to make it in the industry talk about your volunteering experience what did you do were you a pit lane official flag marshal what'd you get up to so I started and I've always been a pit lane official just because obviously I'd rather fine-tune that one talent one experience before jumping into the next because if you don't understand that you're not going to be able to go into another like another spot and be like all right well I understand this so I've got that bit of knowledge and it's better to have the knowledge and move forward. Um, so yeah, I've always been a pit lane official. The pit lane team has been an absolute family. I started off as a young 17 year old, having no idea what I was doing. No one knew no one. And nowadays I walk into a pit lane, even at, with a team and it's crazy because I see people and they're like, oh my God, like you're finally doing it because I've been talking about doing this for years. And yeah, it's crazy. Like they're my family now. Like I look forward to going on the track because I get to see them. I'm the exact same. I, even at the 12-hour last weekend, I still can walk up the Bathurst 12-hour lane or Bathurst in general. It's all the same crew. They all just live and breathe motorsport and wave. And there's, there's a guy, there's Adrian here this weekend who has been around. Katie knows Adrian, who's been around since I was doing volunteering in 2014, 2015. And they all still know you. And they all just watch these young girls and boys who come up through the ranks and they talk about it. You have a conversation with people. And what do you want to do? I want to be a videographer. I want to be a mechanic. I want to do this. And then it must be so cool for them to be like, you've gone and done it. Like, it's actually really cool. I still wave to so many people like Michelle, Michelle at Bathurst. Katie knows Michelle. She's the chief uh, pit lane kind of marshal. She's at every Bathurst event. And she was really pivotal in me kind of being like, wow, a chick's doing this. And that, that was really cool. She was always so lovely to me. And I saw her at Bathurst 12 hours last weekend. Saw her at Bathurst 6 hour a couple of weeks before that. And it's just, it's just sick. It's a whole little family. And I'm not a volunteer anymore, obviously. I hope I'm not a volunteer anymore. But to have kind of grown up, I guess, with that family was a really cool experience. And I'd honestly encourage anyone who wants to get into the sport to do it via volunteering. I know Charlie does the same thing. I know that a lot of the successful women just say volunteering to go. Rihanna said the same thing. It's how you get your foot in the door. It's how you meet the people that you need to meet. And it's how you've gotten to where you are today. So for the rest of the weekend, what's what's race coming up next? What are you going to do? So race coming up next, obviously we're going to have our cars prepped, we're going to clean and everything. But yeah, as you said, Michelle, Adrian, they're two massive pivotal people. Michelle, she's my mum at a track. Like I come to a track and I have, if I have a moment, Michelle, my God. And you have a few moments when you stand on a pit lane for 50 hours. <laughs> Oh yeah, you do, and it's like, especially last year, having that such a long, it wasn't just our usual four-day weekend, it was a long weekend. Ten days, I was at the track for ten days, and like, volunteers, I think there was cars on track for seven days in a row, like, that's insane when you think about what volunteers go through. 
Yeah, th and that's exactly it. Like, it was a long weekend and we had a few people, like, obviously go down. And Michelle was always, she's, like, if you have an issue, you give us a call. Michelle is one person that I will probably always say, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be where I am. But, yeah, it's, at the moment, it's just cleaning, prepping cars, make sure we've got everything ready to go because Dylan's doing great. He's up there and with it, a bit of traffic we did have an issue yesterday but we're getting there and it's just it's insane being able to be here and even have an experience at this because a couple of years ago you never I never thought that it was a possibility and then after meeting everyone meeting Tanea meeting like Charlie they're all right volunteering is definitely the way to go because at the moment I'm not getting paid for this I'm simply being like I'll put put my hand up and yeah like if you love it your life is race weekends. Like, there's a couple of people from TAFE, that they're struggling with the nights, and I'm like, oh, but, like, this is race weekend. It's where I want to be, where you want to be. Like, nothing better than a race weekend or even being in a workshop. So that's definitely where it's at. And honestly, if you love it, the money follows. You know, if you love it that much, the money does follow, and I'm a testament to that. You just got to love it, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, race cars, and the money follows because people pay for good people, and it just... You just exude confidence when you love it so much. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like, once you've got something that you love, you just take it and run. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd probably be still sitting back in Ipswich. Now I live down in Wodonga, Albury area, doing this course. I've met some amazing people, even our trainers. They're one, such great trainers. Like, they have so much knowledge to pass on. And then, obviously, Wodonga Tape, you look down pit lane, you find just about almost a... 20, 30 people down main games like pit lane were Wodonga Tafe. I run into someone from McClure Racing and they turn around like, hey Tafe, and I was like, oh yeah, hey. Really confused. He did the course back in 2001. Like, this course has been going since 2000 and the amount of people that have gone through it, some of your best mechanics have gone through it, some of your, all the, pretty much all the number ones in BJR, they've all gone through this course and they all have nothing but praise for it. All right, you heard it here. If you want to be a mechanic, if you're a male, female, whatever you are, you want to be a mechanic, Wodonga Tafe is the place you go. It's work for Katie. And Katie, I thank you so much for coming and chatting with me on the podcast and I'll let you get back to work. No worries, Tanea. It's great to see you. But now introducing our guest for today's episode is Nadine Armstrong. Nadine is a journalist and presenter and a consumer editor for Car Sales Australia and Women's World Car of the Year. And she's also an ambassador for the Girls on the Track program, like a lot of our guests that we've had on here. What do you reckon, Tanea? Should we go into that chat now? I think so. pleasure to welcome Nadine Armstrong to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Welcome Nadine. Hi guys, how are you going? Thanks for having me. So for those who might not know, Nadine is a journalist and a presenter. She's currently a consumer editor for car sales, which here in Australia is a really big uh, online car sale company, greatly, greatly named. And she's also a judge on the Women's World Car of the Year. And like a few of our previous guests, she is also an ambassador for the Girls on Track program, which is such a great initiative. So it's, yeah, it's great to have you here. And thanks for joining me and Priya. Thank you. Yeah, I guess so. we kind of wear many hats. Um, car sales being my main one. I've been with the car sales crew for about 10 years now, actually. So 
the solid day job there and then uh, I fit in the other stuff around that to be honest so uh, on top of a couple of kids and family life so and you've had a love for cars since you were quite quite young you grew up riding motorbikes so can you go back a bit and tell us how you initially got into motorsport journalism yeah I um I kind of we had a, a farm a farmer a holiday house sort of in the country up sort of near Dalesford in Victoria and uh, so we had dirt bikes so I was kind of riding mini bikes from sort of four or five had a little Honda mini bike and then a, a RM50 and kind of progressed from there so it was more dirt bikes to start off to be honest so I was riding bikes first and then got into cars I always loved cars I remember like reading like old classic car magazines and like auto traders and like you know trying to pick out you know what car I would have from a very young age I, I wanted an Alfa Romeo GTV and uh, I think at some stage in life dad just put the put the uh put the stomp on that one and I ended up with something far more sensible for my first car but yeah always, always love cars and motorbikes so I've had motorbikes when I could get my motorbike license. I had a road bike for a while. I had a um, 250 Proddy and then I had a Harley Davidson for a while. So uh, yeah, so I've, I've been around two and four wheels for for some time. And uh, being part of that Motorsport Australia, the Girls on Track program, it really sort of warms my heart because I think as a young girl, I never had anything like that. You know, we never had role models growing up. You never saw women uh, driving a race car, let alone, you know, trackside or in pit lane. So it really um, speaks to me. You're my kind of my kind of chick. Loves the two wheels. There's a few of us out there, and today is loving this. Knees <laughs> didn't quite recover from a couple of stacks, but anyway, <laughs> I'm the same. That's fine. Boys dig scars, if you didn't know. So, was motorsport your first focus when you got into journalism? Was it the love of motorsport that brought about the love of journalism, or was it? What sort of was a chicken or the egg? What came first for you? Yeah, it was it was cars actually, and I, I used to read all the magazines, you know, wheels, and and it wasn't so much digital back then. It was all print media, so I used to read all of those weekly papers. I'd get the Age lift out. I think it was on a Wednesday or a Thursday. They'd have their cars lift out, and I'd read all of that. And I guess more and more increasingly, I realised that you know they were all men's voices in there, and it was all talking to men to be honest and the older I got the the greater that seemed like a crying shame and <laughs> I loved cars and it wasn't until much later in life that I decided that um you know journalism and, and motoring journalism particularly was what I wanted to do um but I really saw that there, there was a gaping hole in the market they weren't not only were the women not writing it but they weren't speaking to women either they weren't really speaking in a way that women would engage with you know stories about cars and we know that women you know make up you know, around 80% of car buying decisions are made by women these days. So, you know, do the math there and you're missing a fairly, you know, commercial opportunity. <laughs> so um, I kind of hunted down, is probably the right word, the person, that, the editor at The Age at the time. So I started working for Fairfax in their, in their print team and I wrote a couple of stories for free at the time. And I remember... Um, I think it was a Hyundai that I, I went into a dealership and kind of pretended that I was going to buy a car so I could get it for an afternoon so I could do a road test and, and write about that car. And um, it was just one of my fond memories of, you know, doing a bit, a bit of hustle in the dealership to get the car for a while and wrote my story and submitted it. And and it kind of went from there. As a writer for car sales, uh, what sort of things do you write about? 
So my kind of week on a plate, I guess, is like every Wednesday, uh, I get a different car. So we get all of the, the new cars to the market. So it's all, all new car testing that I do. So every Wednesday I get a new car and um, increasingly now we write a story, but we also do video because uh, video is king these days. Um, so YouTube and so forth. So um, yeah, so it's a, a lot of writing. It's a lot of, a lot of driving. To, so we usually work to a template so we know what we need to cover in a car review and they're really important things around you know um you know what's its purpose budget competitors um what kind of lifestyle what life stage you might be in to drive this car um things about after sales service and warranty uh cost of ownership all, all of the things that you would have to explore if you're buying a new car basically um and then other things like you know can you fit three child seats in the second row and you know can i fit a mountain bike in the boot um, so we kind of look at every car based on, you know, is it fit for what its intended purpose is? So if you've got a, uh, a race car, for example, or a sports car, you might get to take it out on the track. If you've got a four-wheel drive off-roader, you'd go off-road somewhere and test it. So really try and put it through the paces as an owner would, and then we write about it. So That's not a bad gig, getting a new car every week, but do you find it, um, do you find it hard to have that stability of having one car? usually um it's not too bad we've got a family we've I've got an old vintage car that's our car but for the most part it's not bad um you know we just sort of use it as if it's our family car so basically it just fits straight into our life there like sometimes there's a challenge if I might have a two-seater and you know the kids will be walking wherever they <laughs> need to go but um yeah it's not too bad and yeah as well as being a journalist you're also a busy mum so what does a day-to-day kind of look like for you it's pretty random, to be honest. Um, I, I probably get my work schedule a couple of weeks at a time, maybe a month at a time. So I plan around that. My kids are 11 and 12 now, so fairly self-sufficient in terms of, you know, the, the morning routine and they can get to school. So, um, you know, living in Victoria and living in Melbourne, it's really nice to have my children back at school, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, hasn't, hasn't been the case in the last couple of years. So, yeah, the, the whole flexible working has been at, at the forefront for the last two years. And, uh, you know, car sales are a very supportive company in that regard. So we've been incredibly lucky. And so would you usually work at the office or is it an at-home type thing as well? We're pretty much at home. Um, we have a bit of a hybrid working system. So car sales, um, if you want to work in the office, you can. If you want to sort of do, you know, part-time in the office and some at home or if you want to work completely at home. Um, it's one of those things that uh, quite often the day I'll think, oh, I'll go to the office today. It's like I go in like none of my team are there because they're all out, you know, on car launches or testing cars or so for the most part, if we catch up, it's, you know, on the road, if we're doing a multi-car comparison or something, we'll all, you know, work together out in the field, so to speak. So, yeah, it's, it's a very fluid, uh, there's, no, there's no great structure around what we do. It's, it's kind of like whatever the week takes it's, and that's fun. And with the kids as well, have they picked up a bit of an interest in cars through what you do? They have actually, yeah. They um they love Wednesday because they know that's that's new car day and what's what's going to be around, what's going to be out the front of the house. But they both do like cars. My daughter has done the Girls on Track program, so that's quite cool. She has a keen interest in that. And Oscar somehow thinks that he's going to be really rich, so he's got a long list of cars that he's going to purchase, including a Lamborghini and so forth. But um. Yeah, they, they've got a keen interest in cars, which is really nice. But also they, they seem to be quite interested in sort of new technologies, so understanding what a hybrid is and what an electric vehicle is and, and how that changes how you live with a car. So that's pretty cool because I don't really know what my car will be or what the kid's car will be, you know, in like five, seven years' time when they come to driving age. 
um, you know, will they want a car? Will they you know, have share cars? Will they have an electric car? Um, yeah, it's really weird to think about the future of, you know, will they never ever, you know, understand the joy of a thumping V8? It's like, you know, it's highly likely they'll never drive one. So it's a, it's a step change in, in the way we think about cars, I think. Yeah, no, I always think about that as well, even um, in the next 10 years, like, is there going to be more electric cars on the road? Is that a direction that you think the world might go in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's already happening. And and at the moment, it's more a case of that we don't have the supply. There's the demand there, certainly in the Australian market. We're getting a lot more cars and the price point is dropping, which was always sort of the barrier initially. Um, You know, we're getting SUVs now that are electric. You know, we need a dual cab ute that's electric because Australians are mad for their dual cab utes. So, Absolutely, the product is uh, being developed, but um, availability of product in Australia at the moment because of a, a number of uh, uh, reasons. It's uh, yeah, so people are they're kind of ready, they're getting there, um, but now they're they're having to wait for a new new electric vehicle, which can be a bit frustrating. I must admit, I do find the whole electric car thing really cool. I'm very me personally, I'm very passionate about the environment, so I've always had a bit of an interest in it. But I'm seeing also that they're doing um, like a lot of incentives. I know Tesla, they're, um, I think, offering like power bill type, paying for your power bill and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And also depending on which state you live in, some st- yeah, state governments are giving, you know, incentives and, you know, discounts if you buy an electric vehicle. Um, the one thing that seems to be a barrier, and it is a real barrier at the moment, is people still have range anxiety. So understand, you know, the same way that they do with running out of petrol, they're worried about running out of charge in their battery and that the infrastructure is not there in the same way. There are not as many charging stations as there are petrol stations. Um and also things like I, where I live, I don't have off-street parking, so I'm I'm all um, dependent on you know destination charging, so going to charging stations or you know planning my day around where I might park my car and I can charge it while I do my chores and so on. So there's still a heap of education to happen around the, the electric cars, but I think you know the beauty of the internet is people can research it now. It's amazing. Get on car sales, of course. You know, there's a, we've got a heap of stories because there is that real fear around you know how do how do I charge it what is it like to maintain is it going to be more expensive and but you know particularly I think about my kids in that generation they have got a keen interest in the environment so um, you know an electric vehicle is the way of the future in terms of actual you know tailpipe emissions you know that's one way to stop it so yeah with the electric cars I think it's it's all definitely going in the right direction and and hopefully uh, it stays that way and stays positive because I know there's a lot of different uh, views on it. But for you personally, what has been your favourite car that you've owned? That I've owned or that I've had to drive? So um, my own, at the moment, I own, uh, it was my dad's car. So it's a real sentimental connection. I've got an old 911 um, and he used to race it. So it used to be his track car. Yeah, so it's really nice and we've we've spent quite a lot of time and money um, you know, bringing it back to, to be a sort of everyday drive, sort of ripped out the roll cage and made it, you know, much more comfortable for everyday, you know, putting some door linings. And <laughs> so that, for me, has a really, you know, it's it's my connection to my dad and I love it very much. So, and it's one of those things that will be an ongoing project forever as we uh, continue to, you know, throw money at it <laughs> whenever we have some spare um, but then, you know, absolute, you know, chalk and cheese. I drove the um, Porsche Taycan electric recently and it's an incredible vehicle that, you know, it is a Porsche through and through and yet it's an electric vehicle and feels every bit like a, a normal Porsche. They've done an amazing job of finding that balance. Um, 
and they're selling very well. So clearly, <laughs> clearly Porsche fans are uh, on the uptake there. And obviously you've been able to drive a lot of different cars, but um, for you personally, what is probably your dream car? Oh, well, I guess with a few to focus on, I think sort of electric vehicles and I would probably say the Porsche Taycan Turbo. Um, I love Porsche, so I've, I've got the, the sort of um, the connection with that brand already. Um, and I think what they've managed to do with an electric vehicle is pretty impressive. So, yeah, so might need to save for quite some time for that one, though. <laughs> I know you said you had um, an old vintage car, but how many toys do you have in the garage at the moment? I don't. I don't. So I've, I've got. I've just uh, got a press car at the moment. So at the moment, I'm driving the Volkswagen Tiguan R, which is really cool. Um, yeah, but I don't have a motorbike at the moment, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and I don't have a garage. Uh, we're often calling upon my mum's garage. She lives locally to pop anything in there if I need to have stuff undercover. But. Yeah, as far as a project car, there's nothing at the moment. There's there's a Triumph that's been on car sales for quite some time that's begging for an owner and, and for a bit of work, but I think that might have to wait. <laughs> and do you ever get out on track at all with any of the cars? We do. Um, you, you'll find that sometimes um, manufacturers, if they're launching a performance car, then clearly that's where they want to show it off. So um, you do get out on the track sometimes. Um, a couple of years ago, I had the uh, privilege of... Um, we did a story on how to get your cams license. So uh, what was, you know, well, now Motorsport Australia, but how to get your cams license. So uh, we got a decent amount of track time and we did our observed license test. Uh, I got out on the track in uh, in 86, but we also got to have a drive in a Formula 4. So some open wheeler action was really, really cool. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's such a huge difference between being in like a proper car compared to like vulnerability and being an open wheeler as like hectic and crazy and felt more like being on a motorbike than in a car to be honest is that you know being able to see the wheels right in front of you and like the wind in your face and yeah it was it was fantastic so um yeah quite privileged to be on the track in something like that and did that did that give you a bit of a desire to want to race at all um well I think I think at the at the time it did you can get a bit carried away with yourself I think but the reality is I don't have the the time or the budget to do that um and potentially the skill was probably another big factor there but but yeah it was a lot of fun so yeah yeah I know I'm definitely the exact same but um obviously with my my dad racing I, I did I think I approached him recently and I said oh you know I'd love to have a go in an 86 or an Excel or something. And he goes, yeah, well, we're a little bit past the funding stage of that. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. If you can't scunge off your family, who can you? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's not fair. But, yeah, I mean, I love getting on the track and it's one of those things. I think uh, the older I get, I I realise I'm, I'm, uh, you know, not as much of a risk taker as I once was. So, yeah, I think... uh, if, you, if you're brought up with the doing it and you continue to do it, but then if you're not on the track for a long time, I think it, change, it changes your uh, perspective a little bit, yeah. And then again, I, I won't proclaim to have any great skill there, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. So what's your favourite memory of working or being involved in the car slash motorsport industry? Hmm. Um, I must say, doing like I said, doing the the um, cams license was a lot of fun to to get some proper training on track and to actually to see what it might be like to you know go door to door with other cars was pretty cool. Um, uh, you get 
it's a very privileged position. Sometimes you kind of forget, like, manufacturers do spend a lot of time and effort and money to uh, uh, impress you with car launches. So you get to go to some pretty cool places. I got to go to, um, to Germany and drive on the Autobahn. So um, that was really cool. Uh, yeah, so I guess to see cars in different places and to travel a lot, you know, it's a, it's a job that does get, let you travel a little bit. So Yeah, there's definitely a lot of perks involved in the job or any job in motorsport really the the traveling circus the the cool place you get to go visit all the racetracks and when you're a race car car nut like all of us going to a racetrack is just a great day out so it's a great office i remember when i first started out um when i was with fairfax i had only been there a little while and then i got the chance to i went to the sydney motor show when we still had motor shows and it was just fantastic and it's like it's you know such a onslaught you know assault on the senses all these cars and everything's in your face and they're trying to impress you and and then you have to go home to your hotel room that night and and write your story and that was amazing and I remember um I had one chicken sandwich right one chicken sandwich at that event and I was sick all night right I literally violently ill all night and I had to write this story and I'm like yeah this is like what I've signed up for it was like almost you know tears rolling down my eyes trying to get this story because I was like so new I really wanted to do a good job and so finally got that through and then had another car launch to go to the next day it was just this like relentless you know this is what you signed up for it's the glamour job you know just yeah so it, it yeah you take the good with the bad it's a yeah it's a lot of fun and then there are a lot of deadlines that you've got to meet so <laughs> it's, it's fantastic and it's fun and there is glamour and, and as long as you're willing to work hard and, and, and you know similar to motorsport it's, there's, there's no sort of nine to five schedule it's uh you know when the story needs to be written it needs to be written and if that means you know working late or traveling or you know driving late at night and getting places then you do it so that's it definitely so yeah so following on from that what are some of the challenges that you've faced from the job that that as you say you signed up for um i think uh in terms of the well my main challenge for me is time management because i'm really bad at it and you kind of you think you've got your whole week sorted and then something comes across your desk and things change or um you know in my instance it could be family stuff you know kids are really good at just throwing a spanner in the works so time management i think is a really key thing um but as a female in the world of motoring i think you know understanding your worth as well um, I used to always tell that, you know, that story about sort of, you know, hunting down someone at Fairfax. And I used to always say, you know, I was lucky because I was in the right time at the right place and there was no female representation and they really needed a female voice. And I think that's something that females are really good at kind of talking ourselves down. It's like, you know, I kind of tell the story of being in the right time at the right place. But the truth is I saw an opportunity and I, I kind of went for it and it worked. Um, so I think, you know, really sort of, constantly reminding yourself that you know you're worth it and you're good at your job and not you know women in particular have the you know the good old imposter syndrome creeps in all the time so I think that's something that you know you really kind of got to remind yourself and not trying to emulate what everyone else is doing or speak like a bloke or write like somebody else it's you know you're there for your voice and your perspective so you know let that shine through yeah and I think that comes with obviously being in such a a male dominant industry it's so normal to feel like you're not kind of doing good enough or you're not doing enough type thing just because that's kind of the the bias that comes with it I suppose but 
Um, it, has there ever been another job or career that you would have liked to have done, whether that is a, a role in this industry or in another? Um, I don't know. It's funny because I think about things like I never was really had my eyes open to so many careers, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you never thought you could work in motorsport or be a race car driver or be an engineer or anything like that. I think that I don't really know where I would have ended up, to be honest. You know, I'd love to say I would be a race car driver or, a, uh, you know, an engineer or something like that. I love problem solving and all those kind of skills that come with any kind of STEM jobs I think are incredible. But, yeah, it's kind of hard. I know when I was a kid I wanted to be a hairdresser, for God's sake. It's like, you know, just, you know, because that's what girls did, right? <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't really know where I would have ended up. I, I, I still love the family environment that is motorsport. I think it's incredible. I think that the bond that you form with, you know, seemingly, you know, strangers that, you know, you have this instant connection, whether you're talking about cars or motorbikes, whatever it is, that it really just brings people together. And I love that. Um, and I don't think I've experienced too many other examples in different industries that are quite that strong and that instant with that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So how do you balance your personal life, family, kids, all that sort of stuff with your traveling and work commitments? You say you're bad at time management, but you must be okay. You must have some area of time management expertise just to be able to fit all that sort of stuff in. Yeah, I, I don't think I've got it perfect, to be honest. There, there are a lot of times, um, you know, as a mum, I'll never pretend that I've got it all together because I think that's a really bad image to portray because very few of us have is, is the answer you know there are nights when I'm like stressed not sleeping crying screaming at the kids you know it just you know or I have just this you know brain fade where you can't work and it's because you're focusing on other family stuff so um yeah I think I've got a really good team of people I work with and I think that's the key that um when you've got good people around you and clever people around you that you can rely on that when you need it you know that that's the support network and I think that comes with working with you know people that are like-minded and that you can communicate well with and I can tell people if you know I've got colleagues at the moment several colleagues that have got new babies and I remember that you know if you can't sleep at night the sleep deprivation is the worst kind of torture you can ever imagine and then to have to write you know coherent sentences the next day just it's not a match (laughs) so yeah I I certainly don't have any grand plan I I try to plan the one thing is you know if you can do a job do it sooner rather than later because if you think you've got spare time then you usually haven't um but I am absolute queen of procrastination so you know in in the in the two sentences there you can see I've completely contradicted myself but yeah my advice to people is yeah have a plan block your time put down your phone and get off social media any kind of distractions I've learned to like turn off my email warnings turn off notifications and just actually focus on one task at a time because I get incredibly distracted by all of the other things going on these days like you know the noise of my phone and like flashing and someone might have liked my Instagram post and like validated my existence so yeah (laughs) I definitely am a very big victim of feeling exactly like that I have 90% of notifications off if you ever text Priya She's always on do not disturb, like always. And then I do that thing where I can hit that like notify anyway and it goes like big and pops and I'm like, "Mm, pay attention to me. But always on D&D. Out of my sight and physically out of my reach. When my phone rings, I'm like, why is this ringing? I should see a missed call and call someone back because I just don't 
Like, I just don't have the brain capacity. If I'm mid-edit or, like, mid-film shoot or something and someone tries to get my attention, no. Yeah. No, you do not deserve my attention at that point in time. I've got in the habit of doing, I don't know if you heard of, like, the Pomodoro method where you kind of set your clock for 20 minutes and I find that kind of blocking my time and then giving myself these little tiny rewards of five minutes here and there works for me. Um, but again, it needs to be within that parameter of, okay, when that clock starts again, the phone is out of the way and, you know, turn off emails, don't be checking things and, you know. There's, there's actually this really cool app called Forest where if oh, yes. you, it's like Pomodoro. It's like yeah. Pomodoro method and you grow your tree for 20 minutes. You oh. grow a tree and then yeah. if, and then you get like your five minutes or then you do an hour block and you get your five minutes or your half an hour, whatever it is after the big block. Yep. But if you pick up your phone during that timer and exit the app, it kills all your trees. Yes. It's like tree murder. And I'm that like, me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to touch my phone. I don't want to kill my trees. Like, I just spend so much effort growing them. Oh, and I want to just don't to touch my phone. And that's how I get like a solid eight to ten hour work day. Yeah. Because it's I'm not going to... I need to get I'm not going to kill my trees. They mean so much to me. And it feels kind of like contradictory to every the digital age that we live in that it's like the only way I can get things done is to turn off all, all of the things that I depend on in my life <laughs> and work out and, and work so hard. Yeah, work so hard not to kill your virtual trees. <laughs> I know. I I might try that. So good. So good. Such a good app. We'd all be able to get so much more done. We'd all be so much further ahead in life if we just didn't have these phones. I know. It's just a, the, the internet is amazing and it's our livelihood, but at the same time it's this little rabbit warren black hole of uh, antisocial behaviour that yep. you need to find a totally balance. So. And, it, yeah, it is the same with everything. It has its pros and cons and, you know, the world of social media, not really many of us would probably still have a job if there wasn't wasn't the yeah, rise of it and, exactly. and if it didn't I wouldn't have a job. and if it didn't have the role that it has in today's society so whilst like our job we say it has the glamour and the and the harder times i guess everything sort of has that good and the bad side yeah and i think social media has proven to be when it works well it's amazing and the way it has connected the motoring world and the female motoring world i think is incredible i think i've met a lot of amazing people through you know direct messages and people have the ability to reach out i think you know, everyone feels a little bit more relatable and you can, you know, reach out to people. And I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, whereas I'm not sure how people sort of track down people, you know, 20 years ago before that, you know, you would have that direct access to a person or find someone or feel like you can relate to somebody. So I think there are some really good ways that it works. As as someone who's only 23 didn't they just tie notes to pigeon legs isn't that how it was done i remember way back and i'm going to show my age now way back when i was just sort of one of my first jobs and they were talking about the internet okay and i was a bit confused because they said we were going to be able to buy things through our computers and i just did not get it so yeah there stick that where it doesn't shine (laughs) and look where we are now And now what? We have absolutely everything literally in our back pocket. On I'm our, a proficient think, online shopper. <laughs> that's me too. But um, yeah. you also mentioned you are a panel judge for Women's World Car of the Year. So can you tell us a little bit about your involvement? There? Yeah, I started with uh, Women's World Car of the Year probably about eight or nine years ago. I think they've been around for a long time. And and it kind of started as a, as a way to actually bring together female motoring journalists throughout the world because, again, at that time, uh, you know, it was a fairly lonely space. There weren't other women that you could connect with. And it was also to show that we had a really valid voice in the market that, 
it wasn't so much that we are rating cars in a different way, but we have a very different way of talking about them. And we also saw it as a way just to connect each other. So there are 53 of us, you know, 44 countries, 53 judges now throughout the world that we talk quite regularly I'll, because we have WhatsApp groups. I'll kind of wake up. There's, there's only a few of us sort of in the Asia-Pacific region, you know, so they're all chatting while I'm sleeping and I'll wake up to, you know, 65 messages about something that's happened internationally. And But it's a really great way to link people. Um, it's a really tricky role to find a vehicle uh, to name uh, as the World Women's World Car of the Year because we all have very different markets and not all cars are sold in the same markets. They're not all called the same thing in the same market and they're not all valued the same way. So I recall that one year um, it was the Defender that won and um, some people were like, that's just a ridiculous vehicle for our market. So you're not going to find a Defender in the middle of Paris, right? Um, so it's really really fun to see how one you know one market will will have a an opinion on one car and another one it will just be incredibly irrelevant basically so yeah so it gives us really good insight to you know how people think about cars and also how manufacturers market them differently throughout the world so yeah but all in all it sort of it's it's a family that you know of, of women throughout the world who are all doing a really similar thing and you know doing a really good job at it I think there might be a couple of podcasts in there that we should reach out to for a chat. Yeah, they'd be fascinating. But whilst, whilst on this topic, I would like to put my vote in for a Toyota RAV4 <laughs> as Women's World Car of the Year. Because if you see my Instagram, <laughs> that thing, that thing is the love of my the life. McLeod no Mobile. man, the McLeod Media Mobile, no man can ever make me feel better about life and the joy of life than my Toyota RAV4 that is in McLeod Media Blue with my custom number plate. Seriously. Toyota need to the best. that statement in their marketing. That's going to be like... I'll give them a testimonial. Good Lord, that car. Mm. I walk outside and it's like I can see through to my garage and I'm just like, mm. She's pretty I just beautiful. love you. I just so love you. You can get so emotionally connected to your vehicle. It's, uh... Oh, I worked so hard for it and the day it turned up, Priya took me down to the dealership and it was just... <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually welling it up. It was like, an emotional day. I will admit. I'm actually welling up getting emotional <laughs> about my car. And this should be serviced and check the tire pressures and I got it serviced for the first time because it's just it's nearly a year old. I got it serviced for the first I've actually got like literal water in my eyes. I got it serviced for the first time like a a week ago for its first year checkup. Yep. Just, it's, it's just a big a beautiful achievement thing. for you, though. It's a good car. Oh. And you worked bloody hard for it. Like <laughs> My first brand new car. It's the best. I need to stop crying. Okay, next question in the podcast is... So you mentioned at the top of the podcast that it's great to be involved in the Girls on Track program, which I remember when that wasn't a thing. You didn't. You said before that you never had sort of a, a women's kind of role model. I remember at Sandown 2019... They had the Dare to Be Different program, which is was the former, yes. the former branding of yeah. Girls on Track. So I remember when that came about, and um, I was in Madeline Stewart's pit, and this group of about fifteen young girls come around, and I was like, "Hang on, like this is really cool." Yeah. And then it got rebranded the Girls on Track to be in line with the FIA. So how did you get involved in that program? What was that process like, and and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm an ambassador from now, and it came around through. I, I saw an initial media release about it actually from Motorsport Australia when it when it first came through, and 
one, I wanted to write about it, but two, I really wanted to support it. And I also knew that car sales would want to support it as well. So we kind of um, went in together and, and met with them. And so car sales are a big supporter of Girls on Track and I uh, volunteer my time as well. So, um, you know, whenever there's an activation that I can get to. So we, we expose the girls to, you know, the, the full gamut of things in terms of motorsport. So while being behind the driver's seat is like the pinnacle and that's what we really want to see because that's where, you know, you get the most coverage and that's what the girls need to see, that they can get, reach that that position. It's also about being an engineer. It's about being an official. It's about uh, being a pit reporter, about marketing and PR and everything else that goes with motorsport. So it really gives them, you know, great exposure. If they love motorsport but don't want to drive, there are a heap of other ways to be involved, as, as you girls can attest to. So, um, And we realised that, you know, talking to girls from a really young age, it's around, you know, by the time girls leave primary school and start high school, they've already got in their mind a little bit about what they want to do. So it's really important to plant those seeds quite young. Um, and also, you know, by the time they get to year 9 and 10, you know, they're choosing subjects that are critical to, you know, their you know further education so again you need to um have that conversation and and stem has had a sort of a you know it's been a bit of a dirty word for a long time i think it's been really misconstrued and if you kind of think about it in its terms of you know it's bringing a lot of different skills together and and at the heart of that is problem solving and communication and project management and you know being able to deal with problems and and that's what girls are actually really good at so, you know, it's a match made in heaven and this program really just is sort of, you know, bringing it to the masses in a really fun way through motorsport. And you also mentioned that your daughter has done the Girls on Track program. So we haven't actually heard from someone who has taken part in it as a, a student, I suppose. How did she find it? She loved it. She took part in uh, one of the activations at Port Melbourne and we do that at the Port Melbourne karting track. So uh, sometimes the girls get to actually go in the go-karts, which is really fun and they all get it's absolute like red line fever. Like they're a little bit nervous at the start, but by the end they don't want to get out. So she loved it. I think it was one of those things you kind of, she's a, she's a little bit shy, but by the end of it, she was really proud of herself and, and the fact that she can sort of come away and think about, yes, that's a that's actually a reality that I could, you know, aim for if I want to. Whereas before, even though I'm mad about cars, she hadn't had great exposure to, you know, change doing a pit stop, for instance, or, you know, or karting and that kind of stuff. So I think, again, it was really good for her to see all the different aspects of that, but also to see women, like all the ambassadors are women who are working in motorsport, like they're living, breathing examples of where you can get to if you want to. So that, that's really cool as well. So you've been around the automotive kind of motorsport industry landscape for a while now. Would you say that since when you started to now, there is more of a female presence? Are we, are we working towards that more chicks in motorsport, which is, which is what all of us want? Yes, I think we are. I think the... Um... The fact that we're all coming together to support each other, it feels like people are coming out of the woodwork a little bit, um, and that's people that are working in the industry, but also the fans. I think, um, you know, you even look at something like, you know, the recent F1 at, at Melbourne, and it's like, you know, the the viewers, you know, the fans that were there on the day, apparently it was up, you know, from 20% female participation to, I think they were saying it was like 40 to 45%, you know, general admission tickets were women, and that's... You know, put some of that down to that whole Netflix, you know, effect. But, you know, that's a great thing. And I think people are making it more normal. It's it's sort of like, you know, it's not odd to see girls at the track anymore. 
um, and that's what you know the younger generations. And I think it's only like people like you guys and people that are going to be able to show the younger girls and anybody that you know we're, we're all here. It's just that we're, there's not as many of us. It's not that we're not serving a great purpose. So so yes is the answer, but I think we've still got a long way to go. Um, I could get on my high horse and talk about the fact that at the F1 there was not one woman behind the wheel of a car on the grid, not one across you know S5000 Carrera Cup. Um, you know, there was not one woman, so we need to fix that because ultimately, you know, that's what people are seeing. So, And obviously you're very passionate about gender diversity. What do you think the industry should be doing to break the bias? I think what they're doing at the moment is, is pretty good. I think being able to normalise those conversations around, um, you know, calling out sort of, you know, thing stuff that is not inclusive and it's not just around gender to be honest diversity is a much bigger picture I think um, and I think you know motorsport is not alone um, it's it you know there are a lot of industries that are struggling to get that diversity but um, I think you know being able to have sort of those conversations with each other when you see something you call it out and sort of you know just put on your big boy pants and actually you know you know talk quite openly about this stuff um, and for I think women are getting much better at feeling confident to do that as well and like you know like I said, sort of owning and knowing your value and knowing your worth, knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no in a work situation, supporting each other. And, you know, we've got a lot of amazing men in the world of motorsport as well who are, you know, really, you know, supporting women's development. So I think we're doing we're doing well. I think, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, having quotas and all of that kind of stuff in motorsport, but I don't know if that's a, a force fit. I think, I think, you know, you need to reward uh, talent where it is. Um, so I think that's a really tricky one in motorsport. Sadly, you know, it's a very expensive sport. So there are lots of barriers that are not just gender or diversity to actually getting on a grid. But I think we're all having the right conversations. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and and to have you know you guys talk about this kind of stuff on a public platform really helps too. So are there any people in the motorsport arena who personally inspire you that you look up to, or potentially women that? were doing it before you sort of made your way or climb up the ladder, if that's the right way to explain it? Yeah, there are heaps of people. And, um, you know, I guess because I know more intimately people like Jess Dane, who is an in- incredible ambassador and is a very generous person with her time. They're the kind of people that um, will have a conversation with anybody. You know, you rock up to the pits and have a chat with somebody like that and it makes you feel good and included and... Um, I think about obviously Molly Taylor has been someone on the world stage that um, is incredibly humble but you know so accomplished in what she's managed to achieve and that's through you know damn hard work and a lot of sacrifices and I know you've talked about sacrifices before on this podcast but you know people don't sort of think about all of the things that you have to give up to get where you where you are to be you know a world champion. Um, I don't know if you know Emily Duncan. She's an incredible, um, yeah, she, you know, her story of struggle and working multiple jobs and, you know, just never giving up. You know, she doesn't have a seat at the moment, but it's like, you know, she won't give up and she'll, she'll be there. It's like people that just have this, you know, like, you know, persistence, this dogged, like, persistence and, you know, that they really want to do it because she wants to drive. So I think there are all so many different stories. Everyone's got these really different sort of colourful backstories that, that kind of make them, you know, pretty special. Um, what is your advice for other women getting into motorsport? Uh, back yourself and network. It's about meeting people. 
So, you know, just have the conversations. It's like put yourself out there and talk to people. Everybody is willing to chat. Nobody's going to brush you off. Turn up, get trackside, get your feet on the tarmac and actually show that you're going to turn up and that you're interested and people will give you so much time and you'll be blown away. Yeah, awesome. And it's it's the key. It's one of the big keys as long as as well as you know, being good at what you do, whatever you want to do, make sure you're good at it. Make sure you never stop working towards it, I guess. But networking, oh, I tell everyone. I go to I go to some events purely just because of the networking opportunities and the people and being seen in environments um, where people that you want to work for or people you want to work with are and just being seen. Nothing beats that face-to-face and particularly if you're interested in sport, just proving that you're going to turn up is one thing, you know, and that you've... you've and being committed. your weekend and you're hanging out and you want to actually talk to people and I think, you know, people that have a genuine passion and that they love it, it just shines through and everybody will respond to that, so... Definitely. All right, that is it from us, Nadine. We thank you so much for joining us for a quick chat today for the Girls on the Grid podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. You're uh, you're quite you're kind of unstoppable, so it's cool to watch the journey. Thanks, guys. I love what you're doing. Please keep it up, and uh, I look forward to listening to the next podcast, the next hundred or so. So this has been a super stacked episode. We thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Thanks to Bailey, Katie, and of course, Nadine. That is it from us, and we will talk to you next week. You've just listened to another Network R production.